I'd like you to open your Bibles today as we begin to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and beginning with verse 14. And that is the, uh, we've looked at that passage several times in our study the last several days. Ephesians chapter 3, and as you're turning there, I, I don't want to forget uh, to just make you aware that my uh, my lovely wife and my two beautiful children are here, and I have the best wife in the whole world, Sharon, who's, who's over here, and Samuel is over here. Buddy, raise your hand. <clears throat> and Samuel, or, or Sydney, is around here somewhere, but I had the best little girl in the whole world. I'm just so thankful for the family God's blessed me with, and uh, praise the Lord. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, if you're there, say amen. amen. And Paul says, for this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height that is speaking of God's love, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, this was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, that they would have a revelation knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ, that their faith would be rooted and grounded in the love of of God. This was what their, his prayer was for them. And you know what? This, is, this ought to be our prayer for ourselves as well. And as, as Paul even said in verse 18, for all the saints, for all the church to have a faith that is rooted and grounded in God's love. And as I have said many times over the last two days, that God's love really is the cross. God's love is Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary. God's love is a who and a what. It's a who in Jesus. Jesus really is God's love. And what he did for us at Calvary, as John would describe, and we read it in 1 John chapter 4, uh, that here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. John would say, that is love. And so our faith, as Paul would pray for them, and we ought to pray for ourselves and really for the whole church to have a faith that is rooted in the cross. And specifically, as a part of that, rooted in the love of God that was poured out at Calvary. Hallelujah. And so, when, you know, many times when we view the love of God, as I mentioned last night, many times when believers view the love of God and, and Scripture and view men who had an understanding of God's love, many times we think of the Apostle John. I know I have done. Uh, in the past, and, and, and I, I viewed the apostle John, that John, the apostle, now he was the one that really had an understanding of God's love, because sometimes he's referred to as the apostle of love. You ever heard of that before in regards to John, the apostle of love? 
What a remarkable testimony that John had because he was referred to in the gospel as one of the sons of thunder. He wanted to call down fire out of heaven and consume the Samaritans. Hey, consume them all right now. Send them all to hell right now, Jesus. But Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. And God took him from being a son of thunder into being the apostle of love. Oh, my Lord. That's not a weak thing. That's a powerful thing. And so we think of the apostle John in that respect because he wrote so much on love, especially in his first epistle. And and mainly in chapter 4, wrote so much about the love of God. But sometimes we neglect or we don't know and we don't understand that God gave an incredible revelation of God's love to the Apostle Paul. And as you look at the epistles of Paul, you will find so much that Paul says about the love of God. So much, and sometimes I think we don't realize it. And with that said, I I just want to encourage you, get a concordance out. Look up the word love. And look at how many times the Apostle Paul deals with the subject of God's love. And when you see it in the epistles of Paul, and of course it's the same way with John, Paul, when he mentions the love of God, he always connects it with the cross. Now he may not use that terminology like the cross, the cross, the cross. No, no. But when you balance out Scripture, you will see the Apostle Paul really doesn't separate the love of God from Calvary. And John doesn't either. And a a sad reality, I'm not trying to be critical or nothing, but a sad reality of it is this, is is that in the church world today, if the love of God is dealt with many times, it's really not connected with the cross as it should be. And when we view the love of God or think about the love of God, we should always, always, always view it in light of Calvary. Because as John said in 1 John chapter 4, herein is the love of God. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul would say in Romans 5 and verse 8, the love of God was demonstrated or manifested towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) Hallelujah. I don't know about that gets me excited. Like I said, I can't get enough of it. It's like good food. Oh, it's like a good roast. Oh, I know when you're eating good food, you, you, you start to get full. But have you ever, you ever had some good food? You're like, man, I wish I, w- I couldn't, get, I wish I could, I, I, I wouldn't get full. I wish you just could eat and eat more and more and more and more and more. But get this, as it concerns the love of God, you can't get full enough. Hey, hallelujah. <clears throat> we can't get full enough for the love of God. And so the apostle Paul had a tremendous understanding of God's love. And this is just my personal opinion, but in studying Paul's uh, uh, epistles, uh, and and as it concerns what he dealt with in in respect to God's love, I believe that God gave 
to the Apostle Paul a greater understanding of God's love than I think anybody else. Anybody else in the face of the earth. And why would I say that? It's because it was to the Apostle Paul that God unveiled the new covenant. Even more so to Paul than he did to John. It was to Paul. It was to Paul. He was the wise master builder. Paul said of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he was the one mainly that laid the foundation for the church then and for today. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it was to him that God gave such a tremendous understanding and revelation of the love of God. And get this, if that is the case, and it is, then it is imperative. I said it is imperative. It is a necessity that you and I have an understanding of the love of God. Not just simply a mere intellectual understanding of it, but a heart revelation knowledge of the love of God, an experiential knowledge of the love of God because you, get this, when you and I know experiential knowledge, revelation knowledge, how much God loves us, it's hard to keep it in. And you won't keep it in. You'll treat God right and you'll treat others right. All because the love of God is made real to you. As I've mentioned many times throughout these last several days, it's not some mushy, limp-wristed, pansy thing. No, love, God's love is strong. God's love can carry a pillow in one hand and a sword in another. Hallelujah. I said it carries a pillow in one hand and a sword in the other. God's love is strong. God's love does not rejoice in false doctrine. It rejoices in the truth. And God's love will tell people that they're going a wrong direction, but in the right spirit. God's love will not withhold truth from people. It will give truth to people, but in the right spirit. And so God gave the Apostle Paul a tremendous revelation of God's love. And Paul taught on it. And get this, if Paul taught on the love of God in his epistles, and we're going to get into some of his teaching on the love of God this morning, if the Apostle Paul taught on it, then it is imperative for you and I to understand it and to be taught it ourselves. As a minister of the gospel, I'm saying this to myself, and I know that there, I recognize several of my, my friends here who are ministers, And pastors, if you're a pastor and you're preaching the message of the cross and the love of God, it needs to be taught. I said it needs to be taught. Sometimes we we view the love of God like many times people view grace. Well, grace just happens. Well, the love of God is just going to automatically be there. Even if we have our faith, you know, even if we have our faith in the cross, well, the love of God is just going to happen. You don't have to deal with it. You don't have to talk about it. Well, if that was the case, then why did the Apostle Paul teach on it? It's just like grace where Peter would say, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to grow in our understanding of God's love. But get this, if God's love is not being taught to you from the pulpit. I'm speaking to you as to myself and lay people here and even preachers. If God's love is not being taught to you or if it's just being given lip service every once in a while or just love for the world or, and really not really love for, if it's not, it's no emphasis there. You know what? You know what? <laughs> we, you need to preach it to yourself. 
I said, you need to preach it to yourself. Like David encouraged himself in the Lord, sometimes you just got to preach it to yourself. If you ain't getting it from the pulpit, then you better preach it to yourself. It's that important. Hallelujah. I said, it's that important. You got to know it for yourself. You got a Bible. You got eyes to read. You got the Holy Spirit within you. Go ahead and dig into it. You're going to have to preach it to yourself. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's that. It is that important. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. And we're going to, this morning, eventually get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But there are several very important passages of Scripture that I want to touch on, and I, I don't have a lot of time to deal with it, but Ephesians, or Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. I want to deal with some very important statements that the Apostle Paul made in the love of God. And Galatians 5 and verse 6 is really one of the most important ones that the Apostle Paul made. And he said this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. You ever read that scripture before? Now, the point that Paul is making here, because I don't have a lot of time to deal with the whole context, but the point that Paul is making here is, and when he made that first statement in verse uh, 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, the point is this, is that law has no power in it at all. The word avails means uh, that, that there's no power in it. It can do absolutely nothing in you and through law. That, that is in a good way. Now, law, law reveals sin, but there is no power in the law, and he used circumcision here. There is no power in circumcision to provide righteousness or even to, brought, to, brought, to provide power to live right for God. But he would say this, but... And that word but in the Greek, it means but. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's a strong contrasting conjunction, which means Paul is laying a strong contrast between what the law can do and what faith working by love does. But faith works by love, Paul would say. You want to see a faith that is effective and energized and powerful in your life? Then don't try to empower your faith through law. Don't try to empower or, or, or electrify, if I could say it that way, your, or energize your faith by law or a works righteousness mentality. That is not, it's not going to empower your faith. But Paul here said, this is what will energize and empower and electrify and give energy to your faith. It's God's love. Faith works by the, the word works there is the Greek word energeo, which we get the English word energy from it. And our faith in the finished work of Calvary is energized by the love that God poured out at Calvary. You get that? It is energized, it is electrified, it gets energy through the love of God poured out for us at Calvary. 
That's not, again, some weak thing. It's a powerful thing, the way that Paul described it here. Our faith in the cross is energized through love. Now get this, not our love for him, but his love for us. I said it's his love for us. Again, John would say in 1 John 4 and verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Real love, it's not your love for him, it's his love for you. John would say that perfect love casts out fear. Get this, because I don't have a lot of time to deal with that. Perfect love is not our love for him. Perfect love is his love for us. His love is perfect. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. His love is perfect. And the only way that you and I can have that perfect love in us is is receiving it from him by grace through faith as we trust in him as we look to Jesus and his perfect work for us at Calvary. He gives us his love freely. Mm. I said he gives us his love freely. Just receive it. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. Sometimes, sometimes, as it concerns the love of God and receiving his love. There are sometimes people, maybe some of you here today, maybe you listening by radio or watching by television, you have a hard time receiving or believing in God's love for you. Maybe for the masses, yes, but for you, no. Why? It's because you've done too much wrong. You've done, you've gone in a wrong direction for too long and and done too many bad things along the way. And God may love those other people in church, but he can't love me. He can't love you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. He loves you today. I said he loves you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, there are two lies the devil, or many lies the devil, but Two of the biggest ones is that you're not worthy of his love, and I use that word worthy loosely, but you are not, that we are not worthy of his love, or you are too worthy of his love. One or the other. That you're too low to receive his love, or you're too high to receive his love. One or the other. Like you've been too bad for God to love you, or you're too good and you don't need God's love. Both are lies of the enemy. Both are lies. God loves us today. His perfect love given to us, it casts out fear. Because fear has torment. The law brings that torment with it. Fear of God's judgment. But John would say that that love gives us boldness in the day of judgment. Hallelujah! His love gives us confidence before God. Not that we are great, but that he is great. And our faith is in him. Our trust is in him. And that love of God gives us boldness, confidence before him. Hallelujah. Because I'm not worthy. I am not deserving. But he gave it to me anyway. Hallelujah. And I know, I know that I know that he loves me. Mm. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so he said, faith that works by love. And our faith in the cross and Jesus Christ is energized by knowing that it was at Calvary he poured out his love for us. But with that, the question, boy, the question can arise. Well, in the heart of a believer, what comes first, faith or love? If, 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 our, if we're to love God as we dealt with less yesterday, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But yet we know that we are saved by faith. So what comes first in the heart of a believer? Is it faith or is it love? Do we believe God? Do we believe in Jesus first or do we love him first? And I'm not meaning to get too deep into that, like what came first, the chicken or the egg. I'm not meaning to get like that or split hairs on it. But understand this, that God is always the initiator. He loved us first. And get this, faith in our heart is a response to his love towards us. So as it concerns in our heart, do we love him first or believe in him first? We believe in him. Get that? We believe in his love that he has towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So our faith in Christ or in the gospel is a response to God loving us. Get that? And so we believe him, and get this, and when we believed him, or when any person believes in the gospel, trusts in Jesus, at that very moment, God puts onto our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's accounted unto us for righteousness at that very moment that we believe that we have faith in Jesus and what he did for us at Calvary. But get this, faith, even though faith is the correct response to his love towards us in our initial salvation experience, as Paul would say, and really he didn't go into a long dissertation of it, but as Paul would really give here in, in Galatians 5 and verse 6, the cross after that point is, to, is always to be the object of our faith from that point on. You get that? And the cross is to be the object of our love that we are to owe as we live by faith in the finished work of Calvary day to day to day to day. The just shall live by what? Faith in the same thing that got them justified and that's the finished work of Calvary. And as we live by faith in what Jesus did for us at Calvary, we are to understand and view the cross always as the place in which God poured out his love for us. We are always to view the cross in that light. Love. He loves me. 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 That's not, not, not intended to feed our ego or to feed our pride, no, no. That's not why God poured out his love for you at the cross, to feed your ego. You get that? He loved us at the cross to save us from our sins, and we are always view in that way that I don't, I, I, I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyway. Why? It's because he loves me. Hey, he loves me. Hallelujah. 
And so that as we live by faith, viewing the cross as the manifestation of God's love for us, that will feed our faith in Christ. You get that? That will energize our faith in Christ. You will believe in someone that you know loves you. You you get that? You'll trust in someone that you know loves you. Just get this, even in the natural, if you know somebody doesn't love you, you ain't going to trust them, right? I think that is really one of the biggest things in the world that we live in today. Nobody trusts each other. And to some extent, I can understand that. I'm that way myself, okay? We don't have a trust for anybody because we understand that in the days in which we're living, living in, there is so much evil. There's so much selfish motivations going on. You get that in the hearts of men. And, 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 you, and, and so there's that lack of trust. But get this, in the eyes of God, you and I, or in, with God, you and I never have to do that. Hallelujah. He loves us, and he's always got our best in mind. I'd like you to turn to another passage of Scripture, and that's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And we looked at that yesterday, Galatians 2.20. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul gave us really in one verse the sanctification process, and just in one verse, he summarized it there in one verse. And we looked at it yesterday, but Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, what, loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the way that Paul viewed the cross was the place where he loved me. And again, viewing the cross in that way really gets energy and fuel to our faith in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You get that? Fuels and energizes our faith in him. But I want to deal with something here. As you and I look to the cross by faith and trust in him, that is how the grace of God works in our life as a child of God. It is not by works or a works righteousness mentality that God gives us his grace. It is always by faith. And as we look to Calvary and trust In his performance on our behalf, he gives us his grace. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our life. Sometimes it's called sanctifying grace. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our life undeservedly, uh, without merit. He works in our life freely based on our faith and Christ's performance for us at Calvary. But I want want to point out something. As Paul would describe here in Galatians 2.20, it's Christ that lives in me. Now get this, Christ in reality is the love of God to mankind. And so in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit, you have love, the love of God on the inside. Get that? In a person, in the person of Jesus Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit. You have the love of God on the inside. Now go to, if you would please, to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. And again, I've got to go through this somewhat quickly for the sake of time. But Galatians 5 and verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Where Paul would say, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You can't use law and works and performance as a means to get these things. These are a fruit of the Spirit. And get this, as you and I live by faith, we have the Holy Spirit freely working in our lives. And get this, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul would say here, is love. Some have wondered over the years, and a, right, a good question, why is it not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit? Why is it the fruit, singular, of the Spirit? Now, there's different thoughts on this, and I'm not going to split hairs on it, but I believe, and I believe I'm right, I believe it's the fruit of the Spirit in, in this sense, that the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. And everything else is, in reality, is a byproduct of that. Get that? As, because, again, Jesus was at the greatest commandment. So love the, your, the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. You see, if the love of God is produced in us, and it is by his spirit, as we live by faith in the finished work of Calvary, and as we grow in it, to the knowledge of his word and being taught, as we grow in it, get this, his love is going to live in us and through us. Love, again, is a person. It's Christ in us, living in me and through me, loving God and loving people, treating God right and treating people right. And as that love is there, that love, that fruit of the Spirit, it brings joy. (laughs) I, I don't know if it's possible to really have the love of Jesus on the inside and walk around like you've been baptizing vinegar and sucking lemons. Uh, just looking, looking like you're a, an Augustinian monk. Oh. I, I don't think it's possible. But when you got the love of Jesus on the inside, it will put joy in your heart. Hallelujah. His love will bring joy. His love will bring peace. His love will bring long-suffering. His love will bring temperance. His love will bring faithfulness. His love will. It's just Jesus living in us. Get that? It's just the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, producing the primary characteristic of Jesus, and that is love. Because that is the primary characteristic of God, love. And I know that there's theological thing, issues, and there might be some differences of opinion on it, but I believe that it is the primary characteristic of God that even his holiness comes out of that, his love. Because what makes him different from every other God in the face of the earth is that he loves. Allah Allah doesn't love you. Buddha doesn't love you. And I know that we are to be holy, but get this, when you love God and you have the love of God in you and flowing through you, you will be holy. You will be separate. Get that, you you, you wives and husbands, the reason why you have separated yourself unto your mate is because you love them. Because there's a love there on the inside. It's not just because you are holy. It is birthed out of a heart of love. 
Paul would say this, and I'm going to just read it real quick out of, uh, oh, where is it, where is it? Where Paul, I can't find the reference, but Paul would say that his love compels us. His love constrains us. That if one died for all, then we are to give our lives for him. His love, Paul would say, constrains me. It squeezes me. It dominates me to do what I do. You get that? His love dominates me. Oh, it constrains me for, you, for me to do what I do. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, if you would. As I mentioned last night, in a little intro, 1 Corinthians 13 is maybe the, the, the best description of the character of love, God's love, in the Bible. It's not a description of our love so much. It's a description of God's love. A God's love that he gives to us and that you and I are to operate in. But it's not a love that can be mustered in and of ourselves. It's a love, again, that comes freely from God and that we operate in through God, by grace as he operates in us. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, I'm not going to read those verses yet. Well, let me read verses 1 through 3. I will. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not, and I'm just going to substitute the word charity with the word love, but I had not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, in the church at Corinth there that Paul was writing to, one of the things that we have, or several things that we have to understand about the book of Corinthians and the context in which 1 Corinthians 13 was written, and, again, and, and sometimes 1 Corinthians 13 is called the, the love chapter or the psalm of love. But the context in which it was written was this, that Paul was writing to a church that had the correct foundation for doctrine. It was to this Corinthian church that Paul said to them, and we know the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, and verse 2 specifically, <laughs> that I, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified, right? Paul determined, and that was to the Corinthian church that Paul did that. They had the foundation for, for right doctrine. They had the message of the cross, Maybe like you know the church in the early church, Paul very much, well, he preached it anywhere, everywhere I should say, but to them again he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. He preached the cross and taught the cross to them. They had, the Corinthian church, had a tremendous operation of the Holy Spirit in their midst. The gifts of the Spirit were manifesting themselves. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 14, those two chapters deal strongly with the gifts of the Spirit. Like, like know the two chapters in the Bible. So the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. They were functioning in those gifts in a Pentecostal way. 
Pentecost was going on in the church of Corinth. They had the right doctrine. But what was interesting in a church that had the right doctrine of the cross and had the gifts of the Spirit in operation, the Holy Spirit was moving among them, what had happened in their midst was that pride had settled in. Get that? Pride had settled in to their hearts, so much so that they were getting proud of themselves and proud of their, of their, of their certain teachers in which they had. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Paul said, some are saying, I am of Paul, or I am of Peter, or I am of Apollos. And some were super spiritual. They said, no, no, I am of Christ. But whatever it was, it was pride, a sectarian, com- competitive, proud spirit in their heart. At the same time, they had the cross. At the same time, they had the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit. Now get this. What the church, church of Corinth shows us is that it is possible for you to have right doctrine. And it is possible for you to even have the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit in a Pentecostal way. But at the same time, have pride in your heart. And not be motivated by love. Not a a feel-good message, not a mushy, limp-wristed message, but the true love of God. You see, the Corinthians, again, had had become lifted up in pride, one against each other. Well, I'm a Paul. Well, my teacher's the best teacher. You think Paul's good? I'm going to tell you something. Peter, now he's really got it. Oh, you think, oh, you got the message of the cross through Paul. I'm going to tell you, I got it from Apollos, and nobody can preach and teach like Apollos can. He's an incredible teacher. Apollos was a very gifted and talented orator. Nobody can or, or, uh, orate it like Apollos can. I am of Apollos. Ah, you Paul people. Ugh. Or you Peter people. Ah, I'm of Christ. Ooh. I don't need a teacher. I'll teach myself. Mm. And they were proud, and that pride had settled in. And Paul, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, gives us and shows us that the motivation of our heart must always be the love of God. And I'll tell you what, Paul nailed it. He nailed it. In this passage, and we have to go through it somewhat quickly for the sake of time, but as we go through this, there might be some, con- there might be some uneasiness in the pews. There might be some conviction of the Holy Spirit. I know there was in my, and there is in my heart as I deal with this and I look at this. There might be some conviction there of the Holy Spirit because we may not see ourselves lining up with Scripture. And we must always line up with the word of God. Our hearts must not line up with the spirit of a preacher. Our hearts must line up with the spirit of God. If a preacher is proud and lifted up, our hearts must not line up with the spirit of a preacher. It must line up with God's spirit and the word of Almighty God. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, we just 
read it. And in those verses that we read, Paul does not describe these events, the speaking in tongues of men and of angels, the, the gift of prophecy, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge and having all faith. He does not describe those, describe those things as theoretical possibilities, like they're not really possible, but if they were. No, no, he is speaking of these things as if they are a real possibility. In other words, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but yet not have love as your motivation. You can even, and I'm going through this quickly, oh, but you can even have all faith, Paul said, but have not love. And Paul would say here in verse one, you're a clanging cymbal. You're just a lot of noise. Bang, 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 because it grounds out the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Get that? They like it. Because it drowns out the conviction in the Word of God. And it makes them feel good about their own pride. They like a lot of noise. Because it makes them feel good about their own pride. And it drowns out the conviction of the Spirit. He would have gone to say about uh, the gift of prophecy and so on and so forth. And even having all faith. But you don't have love. He said, you are nothing. You know what the word nothing means? It really, if we get right down to it, it means zero. You, have, you are, and he didn't say you just have zero, but he said this in verse two. He said, I am nothing, or I am a big zero. And I'm not, he's not saying that to demean or to belittle us, but the idea is this. If we don't have love, God's love as a motivating factor, then there's not, we don't have anything. We're a zero. And so he says this in verse four. He says, love suffers long. Love suffers long. I I encourage you, because we don't have a lot of time, I encourage you to read Brother Swaggart's commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I encourage you to do so and to do your own study on it. We have to go through it somewhat quickly. But he says, love suffers long. It could be translated as long-tempered or sometimes as patient. Get this love, the God's love in us, Christ in us, suffers long with injuries done to it. In other words, this way, love has a long fuse versus having a short fuse. What do I mean by that? Some people have a short fuse. It just takes anything. Oh, you look at me. Oh, look at me the wrong way. I'm going to tell you something. See, love suffers long. It has a long fuse. And ultimately, again, this is Jesus that has a long fuse. Thank God Jesus had a long fuse at Calvary. Hallelujah. Because you had those chief priests and Pharisees that were mocking him, saying, if you're the real, if you really are who you say you are, come off the cross. You deceiver. I'm thankful Jesus has a long fuse. Mm, I'm thankful Jesus suffers long, and him in us, in us suffers long. His love is the absence of the spirit of retaliation. The absence of the spirit of retaliation. Retaliation is you do me wrong, and I'm going to get you back. That's retaliation. Oh, you hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you back, brother. Oh, I'm going to hurt you back. Love says no, 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 no. It suffers. It suffers long. God's love. He says in verse four, and love is kind. 
Where, get this, whereas suffers long, the idea of that is that it holds back anger. Love holds back a retaliation against you. Even if that retaliation, it was right, it was done against you and they did you wrong. Love holds back. But get this, the next word, kind, carries with it the idea that love lets go and gives. Love holds back, but then love lets go and give. The idea of kindness here is it's generous. Love is generous with what you have, and, I, and, and get this, with what we have, don't limit that to just material possessions or, or even money. It's not just generous, it can include that, but more than anything, it's generous with the Jesus that you have in you. If you really have, if we really have the love of God in us, we will give Jesus to people. Hello? We won't hold him back. Just like Peter and John said to the lame man at the gate beautiful. Remember that in Acts chapter 3? When Peter and John said, silver and gold I do not have, but that which I have I give unto you. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Real love will give Jesus to your, to your co-worker. Real love will give Jesus to your family members. In the right spirit, open, kindness means open-handed. I'm so thankful that God is not a tightwad. He's open-handed to us. And we are to be open-handed, open-hearted to other people. That's his love. He goes on to say in verse 4 that love envies not. It could be translated here as love is not jealous of others. It's not jealous of others. The root idea of jealous here is having a strong desire. And get this, in regards to jealousy, it's a strong desire for what somebody else has. It could be possessions, it could be position. Hello? It could be possessions, it could be a position. That God has exalted you, and you or someone else, and you, uh, they don't deserve that blessing. I deserve that blessing more. Or I'm just as good as he is or she is. Love is not jealous. You know, at the very root of that is really pride. It's pride. I want what you have because I'm just as good and really better than you are. And it's just self, self, self. And so love is not jealous. And get this, most of the time, Jealousy is because we're comparing ourselves one with another. And then pride kicks in and we become jealous. But get this, God's love is not jealous. In reality, God's love doesn't want to take from others. It wants to give to others. Get that? It wants to give to others. Give to others. It's not jealous. It envies not. The next thing he said is love does not vaunt itself. Love not, vaunts not itself. It could be translated this way. Love does not brag. <clears throat> I'm going to drink water. Love does not brag. Love does not parade itself in its accomplishments. Get this. Bragging here is the other side of jealousy. Where jealousy is wanting what someone else has, bragging is trying to make others jealous of what you have. Uh oh, in jealousy, you want what other people got. 
because they don't deserve it and you do. Pride. Bragging is wanting or trying to make other people jealous of what you got. Man, look at my sweater. Woo! Y'all wish you were as beautiful as I was. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most beautiful of them all? Of course, me. And everybody's jealous of me because I'm so beautiful. No, that's bragging. And Paul would say here, love, get this, the love of God does not brag. It does not, it, it's not boastful pride, pride boasting in oneself. The next thing here, in verse 5, it says love, at verse 4, the love is not puffed up. It could be translated this way, love is not arrogant or big-headed about oneself. Love is not arrogant or big-headed about oneself. It goes really right along with bragging on oneself. You know, the, the, the Corinthians had become very arrogant towards each other. Again, I am of Paul, I am of Peter, so on and so forth. Can you turn your Bibles real quick, and we don't have a lot of time, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, just real quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul nailed this in the head, that arrogant spirit. He nailed it right in the head in verse, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He says, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Get that? No one be puffed up one against another. For who makes you differ from another? And that word differ there really should be translated or could be translated, who makes you superior to another? And what have you that you did not receive? Now if you did receive it, why do you glory? It's if you had not received it. Ouch. Why do you boast in yourself? Why are you proud? And, and why do you view yourself as superior? That you are the best. That you're better than everybody else. We have to be very, very careful in this. Because true love is not puffed up. Paul would say, what have you received? What, or what do you have that you have not received? Freely by the grace of God. And if we have received it freely by the grace of God, then we ought to walk and talk in that same manner. I got it free, not through what I did, but through what Jesus did at Calvary. The next thing he says is love does not behave itself unseemly. It could be translated as, as this way. Love is not rude and inconsiderate of the feelings of others. Jesus said this in John 13 and verse 35. He said, love one another as I have loved you you. But you see, the love of God is not rude and inconsiderate of the feelings of others. And this unseemly or rudeness, it really doesn't care enough for those around it or around you. It really doesn't care about the feelings of other people. You're just going to say what you're going to say because that's the way you are. I'm just going to say it. Oh, be very careful because the love of God is not rude. It does not take the, and, and takes the feelings of others into consideration. The next thing is love seeks not our own. The idea there is selfishness. It's not all about me, 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 I, I, I. Love is not easily provoked. The idea there is that love is not easily arisen to anger. It goes along with 
suffering long. It has a long fuse. He says, love thinks no evil. Oh, that's a powerful one. The idea of thinks no evil, though the word thinks really means it does not have a record. Love has no record of wrongdoings done to it. Sometimes people keep a record of all the things, the bad things that that person or people have done to them. And it's not a record necessarily on paper, even though it, could be, it can be, but it's a record in your spirit, in your heart. I know so-and-so, and so-and-so, and you, and you, and you, you did, no, 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 and it keeps a record on the inside. Love, the love of God, throws the record of wrongdoing out. Hey, it throws it out. Thank God, Jesus, threw the record of wrongdoing out. And we are to be that same way. If you don't, then watch out, because here comes bitterness. And more pride, more boasting about yourself, more, 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 because you got a record on the inside of people who have done wrong to you, and you want to retaliate and get back. Love throws the record out. Love thinks no evil. It says, really, as I mentioned, it does not keep a record of wrongdoing. Love rejoices not in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice in the wrongs of other people, the failures of other people. Well, ha, ha, ha. I, I'm so, in your heart, you may not say this, but in your spirit, you're glad that they messed up and failed. They got what they deserve. Love doesn't do that. Love, but rejo- love rejoices in the truth, and it's the truth, God's truth, about that person. And the truth is about that person, even if it is your enemy and they've done you wrong, the truth is that Jesus died for that person. Hello? And Jesus loves that person. God loves that individual, rejoices in the truth. But get this, it doesn't rejoice in false doctrine of that person. It rejoices in the truth, or it bears all things. It puts up with all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It endures all things. It means that love keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going. It's like a runner running a marathon. They keep on going and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny. He keeps on going and going and going and going and going. Love Love endures all things. It keeps on going. No matter what's been wrong, done to it. Love keeps on loving. And finally, love never fails. The idea of fails, it's the word, the word picture is of a flower withering. Get that? Love in this picture is like a flower that never withers. No matter what the heat, no matter what the pressure is against it, It never, love, the love of God never withers. It's always in full blossom. Love never fails. Hallelujah, I'm so thankful that love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. It never fails. It never fails. I'll never forget the day back in August of 1985. God really poured into me his love, and I was discouraged. I was at a moment in my life that really was the lowest moment of my life. Lived in Concord, California. I was a youth pastor, but wrapped up and tied up and tangled all up in sin. 
The sin nature had control of my life, and I had no clue. I didn't know. But I was totally consumed with failure, contemplating walking away from God completely. And I said to God, I said, God, if you're real, you're going to have to show me. And I was seriously considering walking away from God because God was making me miserable, and I was believing all the lies of the devil. I said, God, if you're you're really going to have to show me. In just a few moments, the Holy Spirit began to sing a song in my spirit I had learned when I was a little boy. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Never leave the love of Jesus that he has for you. He loves us today. Amen. He loves us today. He loves us. (laughs) He loves us. He doesn't just love the world out there. No, he loves you. He loves you. Lord, we just come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, as your word says, love never fails. Love keeps on loving. We thank you, Lord. And I'm asking you, Lord, that you would draw us closer to yourself. Draw that prodigal son today. Draw him to you, Jesus, in your love. Like the father with his arms open wide in love. Lord, draw us to you in your love. And we ask you, Lord, again, that you would make your love real to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen.